So I remember hearing a story about a guy who stopped in the grocery store just to pick up a few things uh, from work on, a, on his way home. His wife had asked him to stop. So he stops by the grocery store and he's wandering around aimlessly, you know, as we men do, uh, searching for all of the items on the list. I don't know what it is about grocery stores, but I can never find things. And I end up going up the same aisle three times before I finally find it. But uh, so as he goes through the store, he keeps passing this same shopper uh, in almost every aisle. And it's another father who's trying to shop with an extremely fussy infant boy in the cart. And the boy was just a mess. And the first time they passed, the infant was fussing and whining. And, and this guy couldn't hear the entire conversation. He just heard the dad say, now, Billy, this won't take long. And as they passed in the next aisle, the boy's shrieking had increased several octaves. And dad was quietly saying, Billy, just calm down. We will be done in a minute. And when they pass near the dairy case, the kid is screaming uncontrollably now. Dad is still keeping his cool, not getting upset at all. In a very low voice, he's saying, Billy, settle down. We are almost out of here. And the dad and his son reached the checkout counter just ahead of this guy. He gave no evidence of losing control. The boy is screaming and kicking. Dad is very calmly saying over and over, Billy, we will be in the car in just a minute, and then everything will be okay. And the bystander is impressed beyond words, okay? I mean, after paying for his groceries, he hurries to catch up to this amazing example of patience and self-control, just in time to hear him say again, Billy, we're done. It's going to be okay. And he taps the patient father on the shoulder and he says, sir, I couldn't help but watch how you handled little Billy. You were amazing. And the dad replied, oh, you don't get it, do you? I'm Billy. <laughs> and so obviously the dad is just trying to make it. But parenting can be a challenge, can't it? I mean, learning how and when to discipline, trying to be a good provider. We never really stop learning as parents how to parent well. But one thing you don't have to learn is how to protect your child. That's kind of just instinctively a part of who we are, uh, is to protect our children. And there's nothing worse than the feeling of having a sick child or an injured child and you're unable to do anything to help them. It's one of the most frustrating and just crippling feelings in the world when your child is, is hurt or in distress and you can't fix the problem. It's excruciating. You wish you could take their place. And if you've ever been in the position of watching your sick child struggle, you know a little bit about what this father in our story from the Gospel of John today was going through. And we're going to read this story. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about him. We do know that he was a government official, uh, most likely a member of the royal family of Herod. And he had servants, so we presume that he was fairly wealthy. Not everybody in that day had servants. And here's the bottom line. He was also a father. We know that clearly. More than that, his son was so sick that it was feared that he was going to die. And so wealth and power and position and all those other things... None of that matters when your child is sick. All that matters is making your sick child better. And what we're going to see today is that this leader, his beliefs are challenged. And he comes to this, this crossroads of faith. And he has to decide what he really believes about Jesus. And it's a similar decision that every one of us has to make. And here's why. What you believe about Jesus determines whether you believe in Jesus. 
What you believe about Jesus determines whether you believe in Jesus. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of wiggle room with regard to what we can believe about Jesus. The Bible is very clear about who Jesus is. And so if you're going to believe in Jesus, you've got to believe about Jesus, what the Bible says about him. Uh, these critical questions, who is Jesus? What is he capable of? What role does he play in my life? All of these and how they play out determine if you believe in him. And how important is it? Nothing is more important than this. And as we finish up this series, you know, where we've been talking about the resurrection for the month of April, it's important that we understand just how important what you believe about the resurrection is. Because we just talked about what you believe about Jesus determines whether you believe in Jesus. Well, follow-up is what you believe about the resurrection determines what you believe about Jesus. What you believe about the resurrection determines what you believe about Jesus. So listen to what Jesus said to one of his followers in John 11. John 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And it's a statement that demands a response. In fact, Jesus follows up that statement in John 11 with the question, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? In other words, what do you believe about me? Do you believe in me? Do you believe that I was resurrected? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And the question for us today is, do you? Do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? What you believe about the resurrection and therefore what you believe about Jesus is the most important decision that you will ever make. And this government official has it happen in this story that we're about to read. So let's look into it together. We're going to read it a few chunks at a time as we go through and talk about it. Starting in John chapter 4, verses 43 to 45. At the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. This is part of his traveling ministry. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him. For they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. So Jesus had come from Judea down in the area of Jerusalem. And after doing ministry there, he passed through Samaria, which is non-Jewish territory, where he met the woman at the well uh, and experienced her transformation. Incredible story. And now Jesus has come back to Jewish territory and is in Galilee. And he's back on his home turf. This is where Jesus is from. Jesus had stated that a prophet is not honored in his hometown. Why? Because they're too familiar with him. They know him. They watched him grow up. Uh, they, they have a hard time recognizing his authority because they were once in authority over him. But even though Jesus makes this statement that a prophet isn't welcomed in his hometown, then it says that the Galileans welcomed him. How come? And here it is. It says it. They'd been to the Passover and seen what he had done. In other words, they'd seen the miracles. They believed because they had seen. But Jesus had said himself that it's better to just believe. You see, true belief or true faith believes who Jesus is rather than believing in what he can do. True faith believes in who Jesus is 
rather than believing in what he can do. And as we're going to see in the rest of this story, it matters. There's a difference, a fundamental difference here. Plenty of people are fascinated by someone with power. But if that's the only reason they're following him, they're going to miss out. The greatest devotion and the only devotion that matters to God is one that's birthed out of faith, love, and belief, not out of need and not out of curiosity. Now, it can start there. We can start out of need. We can start out of being curious and approach God in that way and get to learn about Jesus because of our need, because we're curious, but it has to pivot at some point and become more than that. And I want you to pay attention to the faith journey this father goes on as we move through this story. So verse 46, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. So how far is it from Capernaum, where this leader had come from, to Cana, where Jesus was? It's a day's walk at least, 20 to 25 miles. Worse, Capernaum is by the sea, so the walk to Cana is all uphill. So there's a good chance that this guy had come on horseback since he was a nobleman, but it's still a long, long way for him to go to meet Jesus here. And then he asks Jesus to walk back with him from where he had come. That's a long road that he's asking Jesus to travel to heal his son. And so then let's see how Jesus replied. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? And, and just so you know, he's not challenging this man. Now this man's statement provoked Jesus' response, but it, the, the you here is plural, okay? So he's saying, will none of y'all ever believe? Not to this individual man. He's saying to everyone who's listening to him currently, will none of y'all believe unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Now, this is a miracle story. Not, it's not unusual in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are full of miraculous stories of Jesus because he was a miracle-working Savior. Jesus' ministry began in the south in Judea, the southern part of the nation of Israel, and he did a ton of miracles in Judea. So now he arrives here, and the text tells us that they believed in him as a miracle worker. That's what caused them to believe is that Jesus had done miracles. They'd seen him in Jerusalem when they were there for the Passover celebration. They'd seen what Jesus was capable of. He'd opened up his bag of tricks, if you will, and now they're all like, yeah, we're all in on this guy because he can do cool stuff. They knew he could perform the miraculous, and that was universally the case. There is nowhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where the leadership who rejected him as Savior and as Messiah ever questioned his miracle power. They believed he could perform the miraculous. Think about that. The people who had him executed believed in his miracle working ability. And I want you to say, no one ever questioned that. It was impossible to question that because the miracles were evident. They were too common, too complete, and too unmistakably divine. And there were far too many of them to deny. When Nicodemus, who was one of the, he was one of the more elite of the Pharisees, the Jewish rulers, went to Jesus privately. Nicodemus approached Jesus privately in, in John chapter 3. This is what drove him to Jesus. Nicodemus is an illustration of someone who saw in him a miracle worker 
And Nicodemus made this statement, nobody can do what you do unless God is with him. So he knew that God was with Jesus because of the miraculous. So it was a sign to those outside of his circle that there was something to him. And that was the same kind of attitude, the same level of belief that you find in Galilee. It, it provoked, it sparked this curiosity in them. They believed in him as a miracle worker. And if you think about it, the world today is full of people who believe in God at that level. They believe God can do cool stuff for them, and so they believe in God. Well, I'm going to pray because I need this. I'm going to pray because I think God could add some value to my life. But the depth of their belief stops there. That's where it ceases. They acknowledge his existence and they acknowledge his power. But it never goes further than that. It's not personal to them. And more importantly, it's not surrender. You see, a genuine encounter with the resurrected Jesus is going to lead to worship and not just wow. A genuine encounter with the resurrected Jesus is going to lead to worship and not just wow. You see, you can be wowed by God and not worship him. Uh, we can acknowledge his existence and his power and never acknowledge his lordship. And that's what it has to get to. So Jesus' first response to the official's request for help was a comment more about mankind in general than it was about this particular father looking to help his son. So Jesus replies in the plural, will all of you never believe in me unless you see miracles? So here's the question we've got to ask ourselves. What is wrong with this kind of faith? Isn't that level of faith enough? And First of all, it can too easily fall into just testing God. You know, kind of like we're offering God a deal. You know, wow me, God, and I'll do you the favor of believing in you. Do enough for me, God, prove yourself to me, and then I'll follow you. And it kind of turns the whole experience of faith upside down. The second issue is that faith like that is easily deceived. It can easily become temporary. There are other powers capable of the supernatural. And this type of faith is easily led in the wrong direction because they're just following the signs. Matthew 24, 24 addresses this. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. And this is talking about the last days where there will be false teachers and false prophets who will perform the miraculous, it says. And people will be drawn away from following the true God through following Jesus because there are these other signs. You see, following Jesus because he did the miraculous is not enough. Following Jesus because he is the son of God, the creator of the universe who died for us and was risen. That is the reason to follow him. So here's the way to protect yourself from this kind of shallow, not really real faith. Don't get caught up in seeking God's hand, what he can do, until you've gotten to know his heart, who he is. Don't get caught up in seeking God's hand until you've gotten to know his heart. So let's see how this father approached Jesus. Verse 49, the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And I think this is at least part of the reason that Jesus performed the miracle the way he did. The father wanted him to come to his boy. Instead, Jesus chose to perform a long distance miracle. He phoned it in. Um, 
And, and what that tells us is this, faith is never about what you think is possible. It's about who you turn to. Faith is never about what you think is possible. It's about who you turn to. So let me explain what I mean by that. We go to God too many times with both the request and the answer. If you trust God enough to ask him to help, you've got to trust him enough to bring the right solution, his solution, to your problem. The father got the most important part right. He went to Jesus. He went to the right person. And this brings us to another aspect of our faith, right? I mean, there, there's an aspect of our faith that's really important that we need to understand based on this rich man, based on or this uh, leader and how he approached him. Some people's faith is casual. <clears throat> it's kind of routine. Praying and worshiping kind of provides a nice break for them on the weekend from the routines of life. It makes them feel good. They come out of it feeling more positive. They feel good about themselves because they've done something they feel is, is right. And they, uh, they went to church. They did, their, they did their deed. They did what they were supposed to do. But religious activity can never take the place of a genuine experience with God. Religious activity can never take the place of a genuine experience with God. We can get into a rut of religion and just keep turning the religious crank, you know, keep going through the motions, doing the same things over and over because we think we're supposed to, or we think it's good for us and nothing ever changes. Let me clue you in on something. If nothing ever changes in your faith journey, no matter how far along you are, then you're not really following Jesus. If nothing ever changes in your faith journey, no matter how far along you are, then you're not really following Jesus. Because the resurrection wasn't a one-time deal. God is creating new life in us every single day. God is growing us and changing us and causing us to become more like Jesus. Following Jesus requires constant change. But that casual approach changes when life comes crashing in, doesn't it? I mean, I have no idea what this official's faith or, or religion was like before this moment, but when his son almost died, everything changed. The father responds to Jesus' statement as if to say, I don't know anything about what other people are thinking or doing or what signs they are demanding. I don't care about the political or religious turf wars that are going on right now. I just want my son to get well. Can you help me, please? I mean, did you note the words the father used? John says his son was sick. When the father himself speaks, the terminology changes. He says, my little boy is dying. He was desperate for Jesus to help him. And he's moved from the casual faith of the miracle followers now to a desperate faith. This is birthed out of this deep, deep need. Desperate faith rises up when all other hope has been exhausted. When we've tried everything else and God is now all that remains for us. Now, incidentally, the correct way to approach life is that God should be our first option rather than our last resort. But that's something we learn, isn't it? That's something we, we grow into. A desperate faith is better than a casual faith because a casual faith has become routine and it's very hard to break out of that. But even a desperate faith is also dangerous. You see, when we're desperate, we will turn to anything for help. Anything that will provide a solution. Faith is only as good as what or whom your faith is placed in. 
Desperate faith in the wrong place always will disappoint you. So faith is not about how strong you feel or how emotional your intentions are. It's always about putting your trust in the right place. That's what faith is. Faith is putting your trust in the right place, in the right person. Thinking or believing something to be a certain way doesn't make it that way. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And that is true whether you believe it or not. Jesus' statement there does not require your belief to make it true. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But this official did turn to Jesus and he rode over 20 miles across Galilee to find him. He could have gone elsewhere and been just as sincere and just as desperate about it. Sincerity alone is never the issue. It wasn't for this desperate father and it isn't for you. You can be the most sincere person in the world with regard to your belief and be sincerely wrong. You can be the most sincere person in the world with regard to your belief and be sincerely wrong. I've met so many people who are completely devout and sincere and genuine in their belief, but their belief is placed in the wrong thing. The world is full of people like this who have the most sincere, devout faith, but in the completely wrong person or thing. And it's tragic. And our heart should break for them. And we should be praying daily for God to reveal himself to them. I don't hate radical Muslims who want to kill me in our way of life. I hate the lie that they believe that's driving them to think that way. But my heart breaks for them because they've been deceived down the path of a lie. And I pray that God would show them the truth somehow and some way. But the father in this story, his desperation drove him to the right source. It drove him to Jesus. He also put his faith into action. Faith is always more than emotion and tingly feelings. That's not faith. Real faith causes us to live differently. It causes us to take action, to make decisions differently. It never just stops at words. So John 4, verse 50, the first part of it says, then Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. So this, this father says, Jesus, come with me, come heal my son. And Jesus turns it around and says, go back home, your son will live. Now, real faith can save you for eternity. Real faith um, gets you through when the chaos of life hits, okay? Real faith takes God at his word and obeys. And this is the moment right here. This is the critical moment right in the middle of John chapter 4, verse 50. This is the pause in the story. This is the downbeat where everything turns, and I split the verse in half and just read the first part for now. Why? Because there's a crucial decision that takes place right here. The father came with his agenda. Jesus, you come with me and I know my son will be fine. Go get Jesus, bring him to my son, he will heal him. He'd already written the script and it had a happy ending. But Jesus had other plans. He told him to go home. So what would he do? If he went back without Jesus and the boy died, he would never forgive himself for just walking away. Does he just believe about Jesus or does he believe in Jesus? Does he believe in what he can do or does he also believe in what he says? Does he take Jesus at his word? It's a huge decision moment for him. And we all face decision moments like these. We believe God can, but do we believe God will? And when God asks us to do something, when God challenges us to do something, or we read in the Bible what he's told us to do already, 
are we willing to step out in faith and obey? Do you only come to God when it's convenient or when you're desperate? Do you come with the script already written and tell God how it's supposed to be? If Jesus leads you down a path that's uncomfortable or difficult or even painful, are we willing to still follow? Will we trust and obey? We all need to ask ourselves some really tough questions here. And here's the most important one. If God never did another thing for you, would you still follow Jesus? If God never did another thing for you, would you still follow Jesus? Huge question. Is what Jesus has already done enough? Or do we need more? Do you need more than the resurrection? The answer to all these questions determines the kind of faith that you have. And it was the moment of truth for this father. So how did he respond? Second half of that verse. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. Amazing step of faith he took there. He takes Jesus at his word, maybe against all his better judgment, arguing with himself inside his own head. You idiot, you might have just killed your own son. No, I might have just saved him. But he obeys. He trusted Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't always mean doing what makes sense. It means living according to God's word. It's about knowing that God's way is better than our way. So let's, let's read more of the story. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, Yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. So a little later, he's met by his servants who'd been sent to tell him that his son was well. He asked about the timing. He learns the fever had broke at exactly one o'clock, the very time Jesus had pronounced the boy healed. Coincidence? The father obviously knew better than that. And it's like when someone replied to a skeptic, uh, who said answered, the skeptic had challenged him saying that answered prayer was just coincidence. And this is how he replied. All I know is that when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't pray, they don't. It's a great way to think about it. And John records an interesting note in this story. At this point, when the father realized the timing of the event, the Bible says he believed in Jesus. So wait a minute here. Hadn't he believed before? Hadn't he turned to Jesus? Hadn't he taken him at his word? Of course he had. We just read that. But there was an important progression that takes place in faith. First, he came out of desperation. Then he believed in a specific event or power or capacity of God. But once he truly understood who Jesus really was, his faith took on a new depth. It was at a new level, a new reality for him. And it is one thing to believe that Jesus answered my prayers of desperation or helps me in emergencies. It's another level to believe he is Lord of life, that he is worthy of following and obeying all the time, all of the way we need to obey and follow. And at this point in the story, he becomes a true follower of Jesus. It became personal to him. He's been born again. At first, he believed Jesus was a miracle worker. He believed in his works. He believed in his words. You hear it time and again in the Gospels. Not just no one has done what this man does. They say that all the time. But also no one has ever spoken like this before. So people believed in what he does. People believe in what he says. But those people 
are still not believing in him. Even though they've seen what he can do and they've heard what he said and they're wowed by both. Being wowed by Jesus is not the same as believing in Jesus. Now we're talking about not only believing Jesus is a miracle worker and not believing in his works and then believing in his words, but believing in his person. Believing in the name of Jesus. I think somewhere in this meeting with this man, Jesus filled in the blanks of who he was, of his identity, and the Bible simply says he believed. But he already believed. Yeah, he believed he was a miracle worker. That's not enough. He believed his words were true. That's not enough. What he believed about Jesus had caused him to believe in Jesus. Maybe some of you are having a realization right now that, yeah, I believe about Jesus. I believe in what he can do. I even maybe believe in what he said, but I haven't taken the step to believe in him. You can do that today. But this guy's faith had gone to another level. And not only that, he believed in his whole household. What you decide about God matters for more than just you. It has repercussions beyond just your life. Now here you have a household saved. That could mean kids, wife, in-laws, even servants. Salvation comes to the house of a Herodian hated by the Jews. Jesus is the savior of the world, church. He's the savior of the world. Whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Anyone from any walk of life, from any background, in the middle of any circumstances who believes in Jesus can be saved. Why did John write his gospel that we're reading this from today? John 20, 31, John himself tells why. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. That day, that family and household had life in his name. And not long after this, he carried the full weight of the punishment they deserved on the cross, and he died for all of their sins. Three days later, he was resurrected. His power, his love, his compassion, his victory, everything came together at the resurrection. And he did it for you. Do you take Jesus at his word or do you demand proof first? When God says we are to give generously and he will bless, do you take God at his word? When he says we are to share our faith, are you willing to take the step of faith that that requires and just Share what God has done for you. Does your faith cause belief in those around you? Do you live out the kind of faith that leads to the miraculous? Is there life change in you and in your family? It's possible to see the miraculous and not believe. It's possible to believe in the miraculous and not have saving faith. It's also possible to have never seen a miracle and still have an amazing personal relationship with Jesus. What you believe about Jesus determines whether you believe in Jesus. So where are you on that line? Do you believe in miracles? The stories both in and outside of the Bible historically point to the supernatural surrounding Jesus. Do you believe he was a good teacher? No one ever heard anyone speak like he spoke. That's one of the things you find when you study the Gospels and you study the words of Jesus. But that's not enough either. You can call him the greatest miracle worker that ever lived. You could say he's the greatest teacher that ever lived. That's not enough. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. You have to believe he lived, died, 
and was resurrected for you. You have to believe in his person as son of God and the savior of the world. Believing in him and believe what he came to do is the only way to have eternal life. It's the gift God gives to everyone who truly believes. And he doesn't hold it back. If you believe, doesn't matter what your past looks like, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what your lineage is, your heritage, doesn't matter if you're the first person in your family to profess faith in Jesus or it goes back for centuries. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've come from. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ and you truly believe in him, Jesus said, you will be saved and have eternal life. That's the promise of God through the Bible. This father believed. He came to ask God to heal his son and he got what he asked for and a whole lot more. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and we thank you today that you did enter our timeline. Jesus, you left heaven and came and, and became human and you, you taught and you performed the miraculous and you did all of those things to show us what God's kingdom looks like. But Jesus, the most important thing you did is you went to the cross. And three days later, you were resurrected. You came back to life and you won victory over death and the grave and our sin. And Jesus, now you offer that to us. And God, I pray that you would help all of us to come to a place in our faith story where we don't just believe about you, but we believe in you. God, help us to not just approach you because of the miraculous or because of your teaching, but because of who you are. Let us get to know you. And Lord, I pray for those who are hearing this today and are sitting there saying, I'm not sure I've ever crossed that line to that next level of faith saying, Jesus, I believe in you. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to uncomplicate things and just to approach you today and just to whisper in their own way, God, I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to go where you lead. I want to obey what you've taught. And God, I want you to forgive me. And I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. And as they pray that prayer, God, would you bring a miraculous transformation to their heart and their mind and their soul? God, let them become a new creation. As you said in John chapter 3, that let them be born again. Let them have new life today in you. God, I pray that you would uh, do what needs to be done in each one of our lives to ensure that we get to and remain at that level of faith where we are following the person of Jesus and not just the works or the teachings of Jesus. God, we thank you for what you've done. <clears throat> and we thank you for the privilege of following you. Help us to uh, walk in that. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.